When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, McCoy. Hey, McCoy. Welcome in to the PHNX Suns podcast brought to you by the DraftKings Sportsbook app, America's number one sportsbook app. Don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a five-star review. I'm Lindsay Smith, here with Saul Bookman, Espo, and Gerald Borgay. Gentlemen, today's question off the top is, what is your favorite video game system? Oh, it is the GOAT, the Sega Genesis. Boom. Oh, yes. No. Million yeah, dollars. There is no for argument real. for anything else. FTW um, for the win. Oh, Let's go. The only Sega correct Genesis. answer is a Nintendo 64. No, it's no, really not. Answer. Nope. No, it's really not. This is a generational answer. thing because... We were in the sweet spot for the Sega Genesis. They were in the sweet spot for the 64. I was in the sweet spot for the 64, too. We we would have been like... I remember playing King of the Junior. 20, weren't we? No. Oh, for the 64? <laughs> yeah. That was, was the like er, 90s. Er, yeah, that was 90s. 90s. Early, early 2000s, wasn't it? It, it was, was like they, it was early nineties. Yeah, we were like, like mid nineties. Okay. I mean, I wasn't right. playing Sega it Genesis and, and um and, and Nintendo sixty four were all at the same time. Sega Genesis came out in ninety three. Okay, so if Super, you fucking... S, Super NES was at the same time as Sega Genesis. I watched a whole documentary. On okay, the game. all right. N sixty four was ninety six. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. I'm not that far off. That. What's we, yours? I respect the N64 pick. I also did enjoy that console, but you goddamn right. You I'm going to go more modern. It's the Nintendo Switch. It's the best console ever. You can oh. play it on the go at just the same as if it was plugged in. Is into this why TV. you don't ever want to come on to fantastic. to the show when you're in the airport cuz you're too just, busy playing your Switch? No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it doesn't have that great of a battery, I won't lie. But I get your point. Yes. I get your yes. point because it does have a lot of really good pieces to it mm -hmm. but it's not the it game. has the Here's best mario kart it has the best oh, legend of zelda excuse and it has you. the best super smash brothers n64 mario kart beats every other mario kart mm, every single nostalgia time. you go back and play it's a little clunky no Look, it's great gameplay wise if you're no, talking form factor no. just being portable you, you gotta go game boy just because it's the og but that's facts. that's what brought game us were legit what the quality on the game boy is like but it's very what brought us the, the idea that you could even get to a switch someday yeah i mean it's, it's innovative. It was innovative. By the way, sure. uh, somebody in the in the chat said, uh, well, a bunch of people have said the Sega Dreamcast. Yeah, I remember the Dreamcast. Which the Dreamcast, short-lived. I actually, mm -hmm. I was debating between that and a PlayStation, and I went Dreamcast, and two weeks later they announced, we're shutting down the company, no more games. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the coolest things about the Dreamcast was you could play 
NFL 2K, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't show your opponent the plays. There was a little screen on the remote control that mm-hmm. you could flick through the plays and choose your plays without it being on the screen. And that was one of the coolest innovations, I thought. You want to hear my sweet spot? It was the, No. Okay. Yes, no, go ahead. Wow. <laughs> What's your sweet spot, Jim? The GameCube. No one talking oh, about the GameCube. I did have the GameCube, but I rarely played it. The GameCube it. has the best Mario Kart in Double Dash, and the GameCube has the, oh. has the best Legend of Zelda in uh, uh, Wind Waker. Stop. Yep, sorry. Oh, Wind okay. Waker's top three, but it's not better than uh, Breath of no, the Wild. No, Breath of the Wild is the GOAT, but yeah, still. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, um, enjoy video games if that's something that you're into. Uh, hit me up on Fortnite. Damn, that's not judgmental as all hell. Shit. Why is that judgmental? Because you're like, if that's what you're into. Well, not everybody's into video games. Well, I mean, it just sounds so judgmental is what it felt like. But she's into video like games. So. I know she is. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be one of those kind of days. All right, that, was good. that was good. That was good. All right. Carry on. All right. <laughs> Moving right on along. Today's show, we are going to discuss Monty Williams and the coaching staff. We've gone through pretty much every player on this roster to this point. So it was only fair that we had a show dedicated to Monty and his staff. When's the Frank Kaminsky episode? That's okay. Never That's mind. Happening. We had it back in Saturday. November. <laughs> yeah. When I when that I, beautiful <laughs> night when he scored thirty plus. It'll be me by guess. myself talking late night about Frank Kaminsky. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a confessions special. by the cove. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Snip your brandy. Just talking about Frank. So I feel like there's been. I feel like it's pretty split. People who want to fully blame Monty, people who don't want to put any blame on Monty. And then there's a handful of people, obviously, in the middle who can see kind of both sides. Where are you guys at with this one? I never place full blame on one particular entity, especially in a situation like this. I mean, it's not it's not fair to anybody. Um, you know, for Monty on this specific team, I think he's more really he, people are just asking him to manage the game. Uh, I think a little bit better than he he showed, especially when it comes to player personnel. And, um, you know, for instance, if, if D.A. is on a roll in the first quarter, I understand that you typically like to take him out at the six to eight minute mark. But shit, maybe we can we can get the most out of this little stretch here. And, and instead of, you know, benching him and thinking that he's just going to pick up right where he left off. And I think when guys are on a heater, um, Monty very much likes to stick to his script and he'll make subtle adjustments here and there. Um, but I think overall, especially when he got to the playoffs, um, he just seemed like he was just stuck down one lane uh, for not only the substitution stuff, but also just game management and, and X's and O's stuff. It just he, he never seemed like he could get past a certain point and really give this team what they needed. I'm I'm kind of in the middle of the road with this one. Yeah, the chaps are on. I, I, I see who, where people are questioning some of the things Monty did. I understand the people that that are giving him praise. Where to me, I think he didn't manage things. Uh the vibes were not immaculate. You could tell during the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? At at times. And uh he's kind of that chief vibes officer because he keeps everybody at a certain level, right? He knows he knows how to. I don't think that's what a chief vibe keep, officer is. <laughs> you know, he, he, he keeps I don't know them, that I would yeah. say that Monty's the chief vibe officer. Uh, well, okay, I feel no, like we're talking hype. McGee, maybe no, Javale McGee is is the chief of hype. I mean, that's what he's doing there. I, I think Monty keeps them where there's no panic ever, right? There, where yes. where there's no where there wasn't infighting, where there where it was 
I want to come into work and I want to, I want to win. I want to win for the guy next to me, that kind of mentality, right? Where, where it's, it, it was a chill place to be for these guys. And it felt like things started to crack and all of a sudden, you know, well done is better than well said and don't get happy on the farm. Those things didn't work anymore in part because there, there may have been tensions. We don't know for sure. We never will. I don't think, but, but that there were, were tensions or people were, you know, an issue with, you know, what, what he was, you know, just, just an issue in general there. That's Monty Williams job in part is to make sure these guys are playing for one another because you have Chris Paul, who was always kind of the coach on the court, but you know, I think, I think Monty let the locker room kind of get a little bit away. I I struggle with this one because, like you've been saying, we don't know the full extent of it. We've heard the reports. You know, we saw the blow up, the DA and Monty blow up. We've heard what was maybe said or not said there, um, and we heard you know another report from Dan Bickley that there was some turbulence between Monty and Chris Paul. I I think I'm more willing than most to chalk that up to this was a 64 win team that had a ton of pressure on them. And they did not execute. And when they started losing and panic set in, that type of thing is natural. Like if you're the best team in the NBA and you just suddenly stop playing like it, like, yeah, there's going to be those types of locker room, that locker room tension that goes for any team. But that stems back to the lack of execution compared to what we saw in the regular season. And that's where I take more of an issue with Monty with the on-court stuff because they did not run a lot of their offense in the playoffs. And I know when you're playing the same team, you know, six or seven times in a series, they're going to know all your sets. They know all your sets anyway, because they've been scouting you for this very moment. But like they had one of the most creative pick and roll offenses in the NBA. They had something that enhanced everybody's abilities, brought out the best in everybody. And they got away from it in the playoffs and they stopped executing. They started panicking. We saw it in game seven, where they were just jacking up random shots, hoping for a foul, hoping for a bucket to fall. And that goes to coaching as much as it does to players not being able to execute, to Chris Paul being hurt, whatever you want to say. And that's where I take the biggest issue with Monty is he is great at preparing on a night-to-night basis, but when it comes to those playoff series where you're facing the same opponent over and over, it feels like he hasn't been able to make adjustments quick enough. I think... That's kind of my point, though, is that panic did set in. They they got away from what they did because of of that. And Monty had always seemed like a calming force. And all of a sudden, when it got the toughest, mm-hmm. he wasn't there as that calming force necessarily. That that recipe, secret recipe he had during the regular season and over the last two years just didn't play out the way. But I, I don't know how much of that is on him as a coach or as a leader in the locker room. Like he was still saying and doing the exact same things he did in the regular season. My issue is the on-court stuff wasn't working and guys reacted the way they did or they stopped playing the way that they played. Also, like, again, we're never going to know the full extent of it, but like it's hard to explain how a team that good goes to what we saw in the playoffs. And some of that has to, you you have to chalk some of that up to coaching. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any way around it, to be completely honest with you. But um, one Haydot in the chat brought up, I still believe Willie Green was the real defensive coach of this team. And that's something we had all talked about before the show started. 
for me specifically, I think that was a bigger hit to this coaching stuff than maybe anybody realized outwardly anyway, until we really kind of got into the thick of it. Um, I know in my experience with Willie, like we know he was Monty's right hand man, but he was Monty's right hand man. Mm -hmm. Like I think Willie was the one who brought a lot of those adjustments to the forefront and presented those things to Monty and, and helped him make those type of adjustments. And that's no shade to who is on Monty's staff now, but I just don't know if they have that person who is either confident enough to bring it up or maybe it's not to the level that Willie was at just yet. I mean, obviously, if Willie is now a head coach in the NBA, that he was very talented as a coach, as an assistant coach. Well, I also think his age and the fact that he wasn't that far removed from the Play. league helps mm -hmm. as well because you have a different connection with the uh you know with the players uh, than than Monty would having been you know a decade and a half removed from his playing days so I think that impacts it as well too because they may have felt more comfortable going and telling Willie something and and expressing things that became pressure points for this team than they necessarily were uh, with Monty because we all know if you've ever been in management usually people don't come directly to management at the beginning of a problem they tell somebody else that that's working with them. And I think we've all been there. Uh, and I think that's part of like uh, some shade. No, it's just <laughs> no, a natural I'm kidding, thing. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, You're I'm kind kidding, of working what? through things in I was real like, Wait, time. What? <laughs> yeah. so what do you know, Espo? You. I'm sorry. Uh, no, but I think I think he may have been that outlet as well, yeah. and that can impact a team. No, he's a super talented coach. Mm -hmm. And I, I do agree that money was probably missing that guy you know and, and he has talented assistant coaches yeah. right now but you know it, willie's just a different kind of dude and you could see that in their relationship especially when they hugged um at the end of the series um against the pelicans um and how much emotion was on willie uh, on willie green and, and even in, in money afterwards so definitely meant a lot however like Listen, if you lose – great coaches lose assistance all the time because they're great coaches. Mm -hmm. And and if and if we think Monty is what, what he has portrayed himself to be for the last two and a half years, then he should have stepped up. He, he, he had – you have to be good at making in-game adjustments, um, especially against a team that you know is inferior to you. And he just failed to do that in, in countless times throughout the playoffs. And that's what we're really talking about. We're not talking about the regular season. Yeah, he, 64 wins, franchise record. Everything was great. This is strictly a playoff discussion. And for Monty, you could even say there was a, a part last year in the finals. Granted, it was against Giannis, and he was just on another planet, and so was Chris Middleton, that maybe there were some adjustments that could have been made there, but just didn't happen. So, well, yeah. It is I, it I is. struggle with that though because the Bucks just proved to be the better team in that series. Like I don't know what adjustments he was going to make that were going to suddenly I mean, stop Giannis. Of course, with get another Giannis. Like, Hello, <laughs> come on, Monty. That's on James uh, Jones. We'll save that for that episode. But yeah, I, I the two things that bother me heading into this offseason are are one the the fact that when we talked to him, maybe this has changed since then, but when we talked to him, he hadn't cleared the air with DA and maybe that's just indicative of the Suns offseason plans with him but you would hope that that is something that gets patched up it was still raw because it was literally the morning after game seven those feelings are still there these guys are super competitive and you know pride runs rampant in this league even with a guy like Monty even with a humble guy like DA like these are still proud really talented individuals but I, I feel like that's something that needs to be addressed if it hasn't already 
is clearing the air of that sideline spat because that's the type of thing that can linger, especially if they do bring him back and it's a situation where he signs an offer sheet with someone else and the Suns do the smart thing and match and kind of bring him back, not against his will, but he was willing to go elsewhere. That's the type of thing that can fester if you don't address it. And then the other thing is this is something that I struggle with because it's what makes Monty such a likable and a good coach is his faith in his guys and his trust in his system. It worked during the regular season. And when it didn't work in the playoffs, he erred on the side of believing that the larger sample size would win out. And in a playoff series, when you're talking about four wins sends you home, you have to be more willing to adjust. You have to be willing to veer from the system if it's not working, even if it's a one or two game thing. You know, we had been clamoring for Bismack Biombo to take JaVale McGee's minutes as early as what, like game three, game four. And that didn't happen as soon as it needed to. Those are just little tiny things that maybe they're not going to swing a series, but maybe they are. Like maybe you win one game on the road and that's all you need to win this whole series. So it's kind of uh, upsetting and it's unfortunate because it's one of those things where how do you adjust that? He's, he said in his end of season interviews, like, I do err on the side of trusting my guys, especially the high rotation, high minute guys, because they're who got us here. And it's that faith that empowers everybody one through 15 during the season. But in the playoffs, you have to be able to go away from that if it's not working. I know you, you said, um, you know, that that their their percentages would win out or, or mm. however you phrased it. Yeah. But at the same time, like I, I feel like I hope it's it's the it's the reason is, is he just doesn't have. He, he, he is sticking to that is what I'm saying. Right. Instead of what the alternative could be. I just didn't have a second play or I just didn't have this ready to go or thought of this in the moment, you know, whatever it was that might have been able to swing the pendulum um, the other direction. Like, listen, like he bears a lot of this responsibility, not only because of the way the playoffs were, but also, you know, we talked about a little bit of development yesterday, you know, and, and there's there's plenty of people out there that feel like D.A. didn't get the ball enough um, throughout the season or in the playoffs, whatever. Uh, and part of that is, OK, well, if DA is the future, and I would certainly hope that when he first got here, at least he thought that DA was going to be part of the future. Then what are we doing to 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 get him to another level? Um, and there's, listen, I think DA had plenty of opportunities to to thrive in the system. I'm not saying that, but I would say like there was countless times where I felt like when they needed a bucket and Devin Booker wasn't getting it and Chris Paul wasn't getting it, then what set are you going to try and run? to get DA the ball um, in some of those times were the most pivotal, but it felt like everything was basically left up to, to Devin Booker and Chris Paul to decide. And I feel like that's just a fault of Monty's. It's, it's definitely something that, and I wrote about this today on PHNX about how they need to be less dependent on Chris Paul. It needs to be a less heliocentric offense around the backcourt because we saw in the playoffs, you can't necessarily count on Chris Paul being fully healthy if they continue to take this approach and not limit his minutes, limit his games during the regular season. We've seen it enough times his body is going to break down in some way. And when that happens, it's a lot easier to gang up on Devin Book and Booker defensively, and that's a problem. They need to empower their ball handlers, their shooters, and DA to bear more of that burden. And Monty said that in his exit interviews. He talked about you know Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, Landry Shamit as guys that he probably going into next season wants to empower more, give them the ball and let them go try to get a bucket. So when these situations arise, they're better prepared. 
but I, I do I do see this opinion a lot that like Monty's holding DA back or Monty doesn't like DA or he doesn't focus on getting him the ball enough. And it's one of those things where I struggle with that because the other centers on this team and DA himself included have talked about how this team, this coach sets up their centers better than anywhere they've ever played before. Like JaVale's been on enough teams to know. And it's, it goes back to that thing. Like, when DA's doing the little things, setting screens hard, rolling hard with purpose, crashing the offensive glass, he's an absolute monster. He got away from that, and the Suns in Game 7 did a terrible job of trying to get him involved. I think that was a one-game thing, but I don't buy into this criticism that, like, Monty doesn't build up DA. He builds him up better than any coach DA has had to this point. Yeah, I... I see that, and I, I understand that, but part of me wonders how much of the system, I mean, we, we've gone a, a while <laughs> without getting into that, but mm -hmm. how much of, of Monty's system is predicated simply on CP3 and CP3's decision-making rather than than the actual offense, and how much does that impact mm -hmm. DA as well? Is it CP3 or Devin Booker when he's the primary ball handler not go, choosing not to go in DA's direction and choosing the other options in the offense as well. I think that could be part of it, but like we're, I don't want to go down the path of speculating that like, is Chris Paul doing enough to help DA? Cause like, I don't mean it like he's that. the, it's he's the big man whisperer. Like he's one of the best in NBA history at get, he made Deandre Ayton a first team, all NBA -er. like, and Deandre, Deandre Jordan. Jordan, sorry, Deandre <laughs> Jordan and Deandre Jordan's career has gone completely downhill since then oh and i'm not i'm not saying blame but i'm saying these are the guys that are, are given mm -hmm. the options within the offense it's not as if monty's calling a set that's specifically not going right. to da in the offense so i think it's a little more complicated than sure uh, monty isn't feeding da the ball yeah you know? I, I i also don't feel like the whole monty da thing is is really that big of a deal yeah. really? I, have I just questions about like this. i'm just like <laughs> Okay, I mean, listen, and I listen. I'm going to put this in layman's context because that's all we know. We're not NBA star. <laughs> we're not star NBA players here, right? Right. But like, if if I had beef with one of you guys, or like you guys come in, you guys were upset, or we yelled at each other, I don't feel like that would last through three or four months. Number one, but that even a, a couple days afterwards, after things have calmed down, like everything wouldn't just be okay. Like you 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 get through it. That happens, you know, like. They're in the heat of the battle. They're getting their ass absolutely kicked on national television in a, in a game clinching game, or uh, in a, in a series clinching game, and they walk off. And Monty's like, "I need you." And Da's like, "Fuck that!" <laughs> like, and okay, well, listen, like he's upset because you're not using him, or he feels like he's not getting as much leeway or run or whatever the reason. Da's upset, and you're upset because you feel like he quit. It's all right. After the game's over and we've already lost because we're about to, we move on. Yeah, but I feel like that's like saying the couple that you hang out with a lot, you saw them argue one time on a date and how is, you know, I'm sure it, they'll just get over it, but it's what happens behind closed doors. Okay, sure, but, but has have they been, argued before? Has there been that's, any indication this no. season that there has been turmoil or anything in that locker room no, whatsoever? But I'm basing it on we're now hearing 
DA was supposedly asking for a trade saying he wants out. If for Monty to explode on the sideline and if he really did say Did he ask for a trade? Us, that's what the report No, was. I thought the, the, I thought, the I thought they was said, that the Suns explore trading him for Yeah, and that, and that, and that, that, that DA has said, expressed he wanted to go elsewhere. Yeah, but that okay. that's not, not requesting a trade, a trade. Not a trade yeah. demand, but saying he wants to go elsewhere. Thus, I don't want to be here in this in this mix in the middle of going for a championship. Storm. When? Now, Do you know? Does I this... don't know. They said a couple of months, I believe the report said, that it, it wasn't as if it just happened yeah. in the playoffs. It had been expressed. But, yeah. you know, we don't know. But for Monty Williams to if he really did say you freaking quit on us for Monty Williams to lose his cool in public say it that way i feel like there's more than just that moment because Monty Williams has always been so good at not losing his cool in those moments so mm -hmm. uh, it's all speculation we don't know but the one thing that stood out to me was the it's internal and that was all he would say and then the next day saying i haven't talked to him if if you and I had an office blow up and I screamed at you, you're damn <laughs> which right. Which has happened before. Which has. You're damn right I'm coming to <laughs> you the next morning and saying, I lost my cool, right? To the be, first chance I got. To be fair, the stakes are very different. Like, no, we're, yeah, we're comparing it here. to like an office the, spat. They're not higher they're here. They're higher here. They're not higher because here. Because if I lose my job, I'm not sitting on a seven figures I've been making for a while. <laughs> but you're True. not getting you know? paid millions True. to compete nationally in front of millions of people. Like, yeah, but if, they're, if not our job, about, they're not thinking about the money in the in the moment of in the heat of battle. But that's what I'm saying is if our job had us in front of a national audience of millions of people nationally. Hey, look at the camera. There's yes. millions right there. Yes. Why are you downplaying us, Jeez. Gerald? How wow, dare you? Gerald. I see how it is. My bad, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought we were big viewers. Millions of viewers. Thank I mean, you. What am I even oh. doing here, then? I mean, but, for real. I, well, now it's, we got to have a fight because I didn't. Uh, I thought we were with, talking to millions of people. Uh, I'm just sorry, saying, Gerald. The stakes are different, <laughs> and I think that matters a little bit before we start comparing if one of us got in a fight to if these dudes who get paid millions to compete every night and are very competitive like i love you guys but we're not on that level of i would i would i would almost argue the opposite in this situation okay wow. da tells money to go fuck off guess what da's still gonna get paid he might not get paid the max here but he's still gonna get paid but that so right, that raises, that's almost less pressure because i know i can go somewhere else but we're and not get money we're not comparing us getting in an office fight to getting in a fight in a game seven blowout at no, home in front I, of millions of people. No, but we're, we're talking about, we're talking like, employee to employee altercations. But that's is what not we're all about. that this is. There's more that goes into it but, than that. Like what? Me, despite the, despite like, the fact that they make more money and they, and they play a sport, what? And they play a sport in front of millions of people. They had their own fans booing them but we're at talking, home. We're talking Nobody's about, in the studio we're even talking about behind the scenes. Like, well, I'm, I'm simply saying tensions run high in, in a moment, right? Yeah, that in the in game that that tension runs high. I'm saying 12, 13, 14 hours removed from it. I think now that I and emotions run higher, like you're saying, in an NBA game than than Saul and I sitting yeah. in a fifteen hundred square foot office. You know, it's like, uh, you know, that's it's it's different. But that's why I think you'd almost be more prone to going and saying, hey, especially if you're Monty, hey. I apologize for the way things went down on that sideline because 
the emotions are easier to just fall into because you are competing. So you, you give into that a little bit more, but I also think when you come down off that emotion, it'd be a little easier to go to your player. If, if you feel like, Hey, this is a guy I'm going to be here with for years, you go, Hey, I'm sorry. I yelled at you. I think it's uh, more important on the outside for us to be able to say like, yeah, it's more important for Monty to go talk to DA than it would be for you to talk to Saul if you argued. But like, the tensions and the stakes are much higher, so I don't blame them for having those emotions and for not fixing it the next fucking morning, My- especially when they stay up late, probably re-watching or not being able to sleep after getting embarrassed in front of their own fans after getting booed but, off the court. But all we hear about like, is Monty texts guys late night. Monty's this great encourager. Monty, you know, is is you know the the player whisperer. That doesn't mean he's perfect. Has. I'm not saying it, that he's perfect. I'm just saying. I would have just assumed that that would have been part of what he would do as part of his MO. My biggest beef here, my biggest beef here is that regardless of what happened, like the night of the game, that's Mm -hmm. one thing. It's an in the moment, heat of the moment type of situation. My biggest concern is the next day when Monty came out. And because Monty is very calculated with his words, he chooses them wisely. Mm -hmm. He wants to make sure he's putting the right message across what he truly means. He's very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. When he when he was asked, have you spoken with DA since yesterday's game and the argument situation? He straight up said, no, I haven't. Which I think that added so much more fuel to this fire and this whole conversation than anything yeah. leading up to it. Had Monty said, no, we haven't had the opportunity yet, but we intend to. Yeah. It would be a completely different yeah. conversation that everybody in Phoenix yeah. would be having right now. They'd be like, oh yeah. It was just a heat of the moment argument, Game 7, because they were getting their butts whooped on national TV. Yeah, everyone in that situation was probably pissed off. But it's fine. They'll figure it out because that's what they do. Mm -hmm. But that's what I think is the biggest thing that turned this whole thing upside down and made everyone question what really is happening between them. How long has this been going on? And then the rumors start swirling around. Mm -hmm. And now we have this whole thing on our hands. I I don't think that's the part that bothers me. The part that bothers me is when he was asked if DA is part of the future and he kind of dismissed the question and said, James and I will talk about it over the summer. That's That's the part that bothers me. That's absolutely bullshit. But that's the part that bothers me because if he had said, no, we haven't talked yet. And then had been asked that question and said, yes, he's absolutely part of our future. Then I would be like, okay, he's probably going to talk to him this week. That's the part that bothers me. I don't give a shit if he hasn't talked to him within ten hours after the fucking game ends. But I think Lindsay's. I think Lindsay's point is is uh, the one I was trying to get at too. Here, it's what he said. He's a calculated guy in the way he says it. Mm -hmm. So if he says no, I haven't, and he pairs it with we're going to talk about that, James and I. That's sending a direct signal that this was more than smoke. It was fire. Mm -hmm. There's, There's something more going on there and that's what bothered me about it because it's so opposite of of monty's mo and the way he handles things Mm. so that's what strikes me as so damn odd about it because it just none of it seems in character which worries me about it which is fair like i I, i'm not i'm not trying to dismiss your guys's concerns about that particular thing i just think that part, like you were saying, Saul, like that part was a little bit overblown. Like that's something that they could sweep under the rug if they want to. And maybe they have, and we don't even know it yet. Like we haven't talked to Monty since literally 10 hours after game seven ended. So, and that, but that's, that's also, you know, like you were talking about the, the calculated thing, you know, like even if you cannot stand DA, like mm. he should have known better than to say what he said. He should have said, 
Like, yeah, but I, you know, I, I plan to, and he is definitely a part of our future because you still got to sell this dude. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you don't want him on your team, you still got to sell what, him. what happens if they can't move him this offseason and they have him on this team next year? Are you yep. going to, that's on you then as the head coach to mend that relationship. That's also on DA because he's an adult and should be a professional in this league. I'm not saying it's just on Monty, but if you said something like that publicly, then it's going to open the door for DA to hold grudges and be petty and spiteful, where if you had just like said the right thing, even if it was just to appease the rest of the national media or media in general and Mm. DA, if he had watched it, you should still do it. You know what I mean? Like you should still do it because you don't know what's actually going to be able to be accomplished this offseason, whether you want him on your team or not. Well, and uh, that nibble, I I guess that's how you say it in the chat says (laughs) books response about DA immediately after game seven was more concerning to me. I think you couple what, what book said with everything else. And it's like, trying to put together small pieces of a large puzzle, you're starting to get a feel for it. No, Buck Doug, no, this is not going to be a Markeith Morris situation. No. Uh, there's, <laughs> they're not going to just sit him in purgatory until they trade him for pennies on the dollar because they, you know, they, they didn't sell him right. Uh, Icon with the super chat saying he's more concerned about Monty using Aiton to set picks 30 feet from the basket than I than he is about uh, the fact that he hasn't texted. You know, if he game seven, that was the first thing I said. I was like, oh, cool. We're starting our offense all the way at the half-court line. That's fun. And <laughs> it was not good after that. I mean, you got to when they're hounding CP3 up the court, but that's a whole separate issue. <laughs> all right, so we had a little bit of some – we had a lot of action in the first half of this hey! show. You can also get some action on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. I think we all could use a cooling period just for five seconds here. But if you have not downloaded the DraftKings Sportsbook app, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, this is the week to do that. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. And if you're already a user of the DraftKings Sportsbook app and you're looking to turn a small bet into a potentially big payday during the NBA playoffs, you can do that with the same game parlays. And right now, all customers can place a same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg does not hit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code PHNX. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code PHNX only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Just a reminder, that is 21 and older only, Arizona only, gambling problem, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. New customers only, minimum $5. Minimum deposit, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Espo, do you have a pick of the week for us? I do. What you got? It's the Warriors money line tonight. Okay. They're putting an end to uh, to Dallas. Uh, the Warriors are going to respond after after what was a, a pretty embarrassing Game four. I think this one's over tonight. And they still almost came back. Yeah, they did. And, yeah. and, and, and all right. Well, there you have it. That's our draft king pick of the week. All right. So one of the things, Espo, that you wanted to kind of have a conversation around, which we probably don't have the answers for, but it's still worth having a discussion around. When you find yourself in a situation where there's turbulence in your locker room or without through throughout your team. Whose kind of responsibility is that to kind of get the team out of that funk? Or maybe how, I don't know, what is, what's the better way of asking that question that you want to kind of talk about us? Look, I think it's, I think it's on both the players and the coaches, but the whole idea of culture, right? That, that got thrown at us so much 
in the last two years, really since the bubble, talking about the program, the culture. We never really saw it under under pressure, under scrutiny, because even though they lost in the finals, that was we're playing with house money. This is unexpected. This is such a magical ride. The first time we really saw adversity, it seemed like that culture in ways crumbled. Mm-hmm. In, in certain I don't ways. think that's fair. Yeah, Chris we, Paul got a shoulder sting literally the first game of the playoffs and couldn't play with but one arm in the first round. Chris Paul missed two games to start the Western right. Conference Finals and campaign stepped up. I don't think we should lose sight of... I understand what you mean about the Suns internal, being able to skip internal steps. Internal struggle. I don't mean that they didn't face face injuries and stuff, but it seemed like the first time we saw cracks internally. I mean, even they last year were... Yeah, on on along for that ride, right? Everybody mm-hmm. was riding high, mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, this an injury got thrown at us, but yeah, we we're, we're that team, you know. But then it seemed it seemed like you started to see cracks in in belief, guys not playing as well, and all of a sudden, you know, things, things I mean, started to change. Even a the bit. pregame warm up stuff kind of started to dwindle in the playoffs, did it yeah. not? It just kind of felt like they weren't having fun anymore. Sort of. And I think that could be what you guys are speaking to. It could also just be like, we got to stop giving other teams bulletin board material with this best team in the motherfucking world. Why would you, why would you change to me? You don't change that midstream just because, Oh, maybe it upsets a team. If that's your swagger, that's, that's what you do. And to me, it only stops if, or, or changes if somebody internally mm. gets upset about it. You know, if somebody says, why why are you doing this? What the hell are you guys doing? You're making us look like clowns or something, mm. which to me is a crack in that culture because either that's what you embrace and that's who you guys are or, or you're not. But if the culture is, you know, th- this great thing, it, it weathers the storm. It gets you through issues. It, it, when it's the toughest, you don't see a team that comes out and looks like they don't give a shit in game seven. Mm. Like that's not culture. That's problematic is what you're seeing out there. You're seeing guys give up. And if you've got a great culture, part of that is not giving up ever. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Like I, I'm just speculating as to why the pregame stuff didn't seem as uh, well, flamboyant fair. as before. I, I do think there is something to be said of they've been doing it all season. They should have kept doing it, but also like it's the playoffs. People are going to take that clip and run with it. Like they did. Uh, they, they, there was a clip of them doing their pregame thing. Like they had done all the time and they got blown to hell for it. When especially did they not after they get lost. blown to hell this whole season for anything that they did? I don't think they got Book yeah, got roasted so many times. Yeah. Like it, They've had the same thing. Any, it, that's just what our social media culture is nowadays. Yeah. Right. If you do anything that is remotely fun and playful and you lose, yes. they're going to take that and be like, see, this is, nobody takes, they don't take themselves seriously. They need to be humbled. Yeah, yeah, they need to be humbled. Like, at what point in time do you say, who gives a you know what about what the well, outside world thinks? All that matters is what we think about each other because we're the ones who are actually playing the game. People have been, been saying been that about the Warriors the whole time. You know what I mean? So like, that's why you had to change. Like, it, I, I, I would hope that it wasn't like they just decided like, oh, well, maybe we need to tone it down a bit. Like, just be you. Just be you. And that, that's who they were. Like, the Warriors do the same shit. Mm. Fuck, the Mavericks were doing it against us. Mm. Like, you know, clowning and stuff like that. You know, I'm like, and sometimes 
It turns around to bite you in the ass. Ask LeBron and the salsa and all that bullshit with the Lakers last year. Um, and sometimes it doesn't. And I don't feel like that that really plays a part no. in e- either way. Well, and it felt like their mentality all along was, who the heck cares what everybody else says? We're going out here and proving it. Right. So why does that change? To, like, and we're I assuming. I think because they stopped proving it. And then they I mean, did start yeah. to care what everyone was saying. I, I also, you know, I was thinking about this. Which might have been the downfall. Well, I was I think thinking so. about this driving home yesterday. Um, I was I was thinking about Jesus, you know, from the bubble, and I know they still had like a month, month and a half half off after the bubble. Um, but from the bubble to the season, playoffs, and then especially for like Devin Booker, you know, <laughs> straight to the Olympics, right back into the season, boom, boom, boom. Like I do wonder if that many games in that many days mm-hmm. maybe finally caught up to them mm-hmm. in the playoffs because Probably. they did not look like the supercharged team that we had basically seen for parts of the season. Um, they definitely didn't look like they were as fast or as aggressive as they were last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it just looked like a completely different team. Even this year going through the season, I, I was like, they're playing really, really well. Some of these games, I'm like, how do they win that game? Like, it's right. just, it was just kind <laughs> of like, I'm not going to say fluky, but, you know, just kind of like sometimes it goes your way those days. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and and then they get to that point and they really didn't have that. It was just I wonder if there's something to it. I don't think there's I don't think that's just a Suns problem. You look at the playoffs and you're seeing a lot of weird yeah. lopsided wins both ways. Like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of these guys have hit a wall because they've played in a very weird rhythm for two and a half years, which is unnatural for these guys. They're creatures of habit, creatures of rhythm. So when you get them in this, I I think we're seeing it a lot. And I think you'll continue to see it in the finals too, where it's just this uneven. It doesn't seem to make Mm -hmm. sense why it's, why it's happening the way it is. So we kind of went a couple side streets there within that conversation, (laughs) Shocker. which posed a question from the chat. Darth Mm -hmm. Boyd has said, why do opposing fan bases hate the Suns so much? We've never hurt anyone's feelings outside of the Clippers. Seriously, who have we beat to the point that their fan bases two, hate us? I, I There's was, two reasons. <laughs> Suns and four guy and that jackass waving his money around during the finals. That's why people, I think, I feel hate like, us. I feel like are those... Guys, are you for real, for real with us? Yes. Well, the Suns because and those fo- were the, the visual the, national embodiments of of Suns fandom were those two things, and then you add in some of us, myself included, could be real assholes about it on Twitter. Yes, you go ahead <laughs> and you look at it and you go, mm-hmm. you know, for decades the Suns were beloved. Everybody loved it. the Phoenix Suns were everybody's second favorite team. Mm-hmm. You go ten years in the dumpster, then you come out with those two guys that were the face of things, and then the Twitter discourse, it, it adds up, and all of a sudden the Phoenix Suns somehow are, are the most hated group but in the NBA. it's also because of let, – let's be honest. Let's just be – let's say what yes, it is. Like, it, please. <laughs> us as fans in Suns fandom, they've been waiting, like Espo said, for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then – and 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 there's, a, there's another thing to this. The Booker factor. Yes. People yes. since since Booker was, you know, his, his rookie year have been saying he's the future. He's the franchise. You guys hate him because you're always moving the goalposts on, you know, on greatness. So he scores 30. Oh, well, he's scoring 30 on a bad team. He scores 30 on a good team. Well, he has CP3. Like, so there's this that this little bit of uh, disgruntledness from Suns fans, which is deservedly so. So when they finally get, have a team to back up Everything that they've been seeing with the Suns, or especially Devin Booker, I mean, every little drop of sugar 
you would see ants (laughs) to that conversation on Twitter. Mm -hmm. If J.J. Reddick was pumping up something about the Suns, boom, here we are in droves. So because they they were thirsty. And so so then they would do the same thing to other fan bases. Uh, if if somebody said something outlandish about the Suns, they would they would attack, 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 yeah. which I'm I'm okay with. Mob. Is that exclusive <laughs> to Suns fans? No, though? but I think no, it, it I was think a the, perfect storm. I think it was, but I think we came at it with a lot of um, aggression. Is probably not the right word, but we had a, a fire and a thirst to be involved in those conversations. Well, they I weren't say. just fans; they were fanatics. Yeah. Like, it was. <laughs> we seemed like religious zealots, like with the way that we would gang up on any bad opinion of Booker, and I think that plays into it because. A, people don't like to be wrong about their sports opinions. And with Devin Booker, so many of them were wrong. And the only thing that people that are wrong about their opinions hate more than that is to have it rubbed in their face. And that's what Suns fans do a lot. And God bless them because they've been waiting for a decade to be able to do this. But because the Suns skipped steps and because they went from, you know, bubble sensation to finals team, like other people can't stand it. And when you're constantly mm-hmm. rubbing it in their face, that's yeah. gonna happen. Especially teams like Utah and Denver specifically. Like yes. Denver's <laughs> upset obviously because DMVR hates us. W- because <laughs> because they lost Jamal Murray and they and, and they feel like we're we're too cocky for our own britches. Mm-hmm. And then Utah can't stand us because we basically did what they did. Except better, yeah. Like, and we have the better two guard, which was also another uh, debate oh, yeah. widely mm-hmm. out there on social between Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell. And if people would look at the Suns and the Utah Jazz. If you took off the uniforms, you would not be able to tell who is who. But once you put the uniforms on, for whatever reason, we're able to get to another level higher, which we basically have our entire entire franchise's duration. Even though, ironically enough, Utah has a higher winning percentage than the Suns. We. We uh, neither team has won a championship either, but we even ripped off their city jerseys, right? They had (laughs) had the gradient mountain, we had the valley. We were like, hey, suck it, Utah. Was (laughs) and I, you know, I think it Coda Kid in the chat said, you know, let these fans enjoy going to the game. One guy committed assault, the other guy emptied his <laughs> bank account so he could wave his money around. That's not enjoying a game. It's just looking like a jackass, all right? Look, I I I Sons and Four grew to something that I did not like, but in that guy's defense, he did have beer poured on him, and the other oh, yeah. guy swung first. Yeah, and oh, the I'm other not, guy like, had the upper hand. I'm for not sure. saying. Like, I'm just still saying wrong. he it's wasn't. Still, yeah, it's still he wrong. wasn't doing that as a enjoy the yes, game. Yes. He was beating the crap my out of a problem, guy and said it. My problem was afterwards. I think there was another fight or two that broke out mm-hmm. at Talking Stick, or yeah. or it was the footprint yes. at that point at our hometown, and that was solely yeah. on us. It, the Suns and Ford incident like inspired us to be our worst selves. And yes. and it's carried over. Yes. It carried over to this yeah. season with yeah. the stupid Suns and Four Chance after Game Two. Oh, so gosh. what you're saying is we needed to be humbled. <sighs> Honestly, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> we didn't need bit, to be guys. humbled. No, never. I'm just going to four years of being humbled. <laughs> Screw this. <laughs> a little bit. I'm going to say a little bit. Hi, Bay. All right. Well, what are you going to do? There, there was a whole new generation of Suns fans that jumped on bored during the bubble that had to learn the pain of being a Suns fan. That's what it was. Yeah, so. probably. All right, gentlemen, any other thoughts on uh, mostly Monty, since that was the topic of conversation for today's show? I, I just want to say that as bad as it is right now, and as much as this mid range heavy offense needs to change and they need to figure out what's going on with DA and mend those bridges. Like we should also not 
forget that Monty has not been a head coach in this league for a number of years like some of these other guys. Um, Jason Kidd is new at this. Obviously, Willie Green knew. I'm not talking about the playoff matchups, but like he's going to get better at this stuff. And I think he can. Like we saw him make a jump this season in terms of his game to game preparedness. And there's a reason guys went out of their way to praise not just the man that he is, but how prepared he had them on a night to night basis. I think he needs to veer away from some of that unflinching like faith in his guys and, and change things as needed in a playoff series. But like, there's a reason the Suns were a top five offense and defense, and it's not just personnel. They had really good schemes on both ends of the floor, um, and he's empowered a lot of these younger players and helped them grow in ways that we weren't seeing under the prior four coaches that Devin Booker had in his first few years here. So I know that it sucks right now and that it's easy to question the culture, but like expectations shifted rapidly from when he first got here. Like when he first got here, we were like, okay, maybe we'll make the playoffs the first year. And then Chris Paul's first year, it was like, okay, we should definitely make the playoffs. It was never championship or bust, which it is now. And so expectations have jumped significantly and he has to catch up with those. But like the growth we've seen since he first got here shouldn't fly under the radar. Well, and you would hope his assistant coaches grow as well uh, as part of it. And maybe they're more comfortable you know, in that second year, making some uh, some additional suggestions when it comes to those times. Hey, what about I was watching film? What do you think about X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. Because you know, you build that that rapport uh, after uh, you know some extra time there mm-hmm. as well. So you hope that's another internal growth area. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the biggest thing is is now that we've talked about players, coaches, things of that nature. I think having gone through the last few weeks to just kind of like take all this in, discuss it openly. I'm not ready to give up on either of them, Mm -hmm. like players or coaches. Like there are a handful of things that obviously need to be adjusted. But if you were to quote unquote, say run it back with a few changes that of the things that you need to address, like certain areas that you really need to bring in new people or bolster, I wouldn't be disappointed next season. I think we have a good coaching staff. I think we have a solid core group of guys that I think can be successful with some time. You know what I mean? Like like you all said, we skipped steps. Like mm-hmm. it was it wasn't necessarily that it was a pipe dream by any means because I do think the Suns had a legitimate chance at winning a title. But sometimes you just have to have a little bit more rep. Sometimes you need a little bit more experience to get over Things like a culture struggle or just a, a hardship within your locker room. You know what I mean? I would be completely disappointed if they just run it back. I, if, I, if 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 it not completely, but I mean, if it's if it's just oh, we added another backup point guard. If that's like the the big move this summer, the big change, I'm not going to be very happy about this. I'm writing this for for the. Uh, PHNX newsletter, you know, but <laughs> you forgot the, where we the were. column, no, I, I the uh, newsletter, the column for that. And I, I think it's time to take a big swing. I think it's time to find that guy, as you said, Gerald, in, in your piece today, that can let CP3 take that step back uh, and not be a main focus in the offense. Could be the third or four, you know fourth option in there. Like it's time to, to take a swing because the chances, championship chances don't come around that often you have one now, make a move and and bolster this team. I'll say this right now. Uh, I am not on board with a lateral move for DA. 
Oh, I don't. Um, you know, I'm not I, saying I, lateral. No, I'm, not, uh, yeah, I'm just. Yeah. I'm talking for myself, okay, not for sorry. you. <laughs> um, yeah, I just. I'll apologize. If they if they trade for a Capella and a Herder or whatever, I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, you got a little bit better, but how much better did you really get? I don't want to see that. I, you know, listen, Da's still young. We talk about everybody else. Da's is still a very very young player. Like, mm-hmm. and so when you you if you trade away Da, you're trading away potential. Um, and we and we historically in the NBA, bigs have taken a, a longer time to develop than guards and forwards. They just have. Now, in today's NBA, it's changed a little bit, obviously, but DA still still a big man. And he's 6'11. He's still he's still kind of immature. He's still trying to find his way around things. Like I I, I don't know if I would want to sacrifice that for like the said trade I just mentioned. Like, now, if we're going to get a superstar in here, obviously that changes the equation. But I just have this feeling, I have this feeling DA is coming back. I think, yeah, it, you look at how difficult it is to navigate a sign and trade, and we'll talk about some specific DeAndre Ayton sign and trades next week. But it's really hard to get a good return back in that type of situation because you have three different parties that you have to somehow mm-hmm. satisfy their demands in that trade. And it's difficult to do that. And the cap rules make it really difficult to get back the type of salary that you want. So I agree with you. And I think the Suns know that. And I think they are perfectly fine with all this speculation that, oh, they're not going to match or they're going to let him walk. Because then it's real easy to just match an offer sheet and be like, yes, we got him for less than the five-year max. We still have that designated max spot available because you can only have two of those on a roster. Mm -hmm. And that will open them up keep their flexibility to make a move for a disgruntled superstar if it comes about. You know, there was a great thread by the four-point play, and, mm-hmm. um, and and if you haven't checked it out, I'm sure all of us have tweeted about it. It's phenomenal. It kind of breaks down how things would work and why um, definitely things are not as bad as they seem because the Suns have set themselves up uh, for success, which is pretty pretty terrific. Well, that's I was going to reference that. I, I think you can keep DA and still go big game hunting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's... I think that's the path you should probably walk down this off season and and make some decisions other places. If they will, who knows? Again, I'm going to go back to we're not even sure who's going to be signing the checks yeah. when free agency <laughs> opens. So that could dramatically change the approach to any of this too if if it's somebody different because of whatever comes out of this investigation as well. All right, gentlemen, uh, we've been telling all of our listeners for a really long time now, uh, COVID-19 vaccines are free for everyone five and older. Those 12 and older are also now eligible for a booster. So let's all do the right thing. Keep everyone safe as we get together this summer and um, make sure we're all healthy for hopefully a really fun upcoming Suns season. So if you want to find a vaccine location near you, go to azhealth.gov slash find vaccine. Time to close out the show oh, with Ad Read Roulette. Let's spin the wheel. The wheel, the wheel, the wheel, the wheel of destiny. <laughs> spin that wheel. Here we go. Really round song. and round. You, you don't know. Please don't let it be Cookie Monster. That was close to my face. Espo is up. What do you have to, what voice do you have Let's find out. Oh, please be done. I, I can't even read these. What so does the me... wheel give us? 
Oh, French. <laughs> <laughs> Which ad am I reading? I better pull. OGs. Oh, okay. It's always so, OGs. Yeah. I, um, it's the easiest one to do. It is. Let me pull open I've my. I've got French blood in me, I suppose, so don't offend me. I'm, oh, boy. I, I have French and French Canadian blood, so I'm oh, about to offend myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be my, so My ancestors bad. are. Uh, are not going to be happy with me here. Let's get to the... Oh, Drew... It's going to stop by your local dispensary and grab some amazing OGs. Some scratch. Some scratch made THC gummies from your friends. Still somehow Cookie Monster. I like like the cheese. Oh. <laughs> and nobody the baguette. Talk, oh. Let me ride my that. little bicycle in my beret. <laughs> if you're interested in trying these amazing, de- amazingly delicious varieties so of flavors in OG bread, have to offer, go to ogsbrands.com. That's ogsbrands.com to find OGs near you. The cookie you monster is so in France. The macaron monster. <laughs> <laughs> okay, at first oh you sounded God. like the candlestick off of uh, Beauty, Beauty and the Beast. Oh my God. Beauty and the Beast. Be and then you just went right back to Cookie Monster. Yep. That's fantastic. <laughs> Great job, Espo. <laughs> the Frenchman is loose. That was terrible. I think that was the funniest one. I've now offended France. Oh, man. <laughs> Apologies. That's tough. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate you. We'll be back tomorrow at 2 p.m. So come hang out with us once again. Until then, check out gophnx.com for Gerald's article that he mentioned early on in the show. He's still writing great content for that site. Um, and then you can follow me on Twitter at LindsaySmithAZ. You can follow uh-huh. Saul at Saul underscore Bookman. You can follow Gerald for at Gerald Bergay. Our site. And you can follow yeah, Same thing. Espo it's our company, I think. Listen, it happens, okay? Espo, take his phone. Understand me, I've always wrecked the family. Rally in the valley like Dan G. No plan B. Always on the job. My team move like the mob. Turn the beat on. I throw it down like DA on the lot. Best combo since KJ Marley and Charles. If you squat, just sitting on the chat. Get involved. Rhyme say it's got flavor. Known to shine greater. Glot like Tom Chambers and Bulls versus Lakers. Off that pick, I'm Devin Booker. Bringing the hot.